0: This morning, we are in 1 Peter chapter 3 as we continue in our series, Sojourners in Exile. And I want to start with this question because this will really lead to where we are uh, this morning in the text. It's 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Uh, a question for you is this How many of you like pain? Not a popular question, I understand. But seriously, how, how many of us really like pain? I see these people, and I've only seen them like a couple of times, but if you've ever like been to the gym and you've seen this person that's wearing the t-shirt that says pain is weakness leaving the body, they're like built with a body that has seemingly experienced no pain. Like they're just perfect. They don't don't, don't even need to be there. I don't even know why that guy's there. (laughs) Pain is weakness leaving the body. The only people I see sporting that are the people who don't seemingly need to get rid of much weakness. Here's the thing. We don't like pain. I don't like it. You don't like it. It's not fun to experience pain. It's not fun to experience physical pain. It's not fun to experience emotional pain. Relational stress and pain. Financial pain. What about how we fit in the world around us? Do we belong, or are we left in this place where we seemingly don't, and we have pain? This morning, as we looked at 1 Peter chapter 3, he's continually speaking to this group of Christians that are all a part of these churches in this area, Asia Minor, that's present-day Turkey. So on the other other side of the world, this group of people who are believers, and yet are really, really struggling with the world around them, because they don't fit in. They don't look like the world around them. They don't look like the people who are living truly with the mantra of eat and drink for tomorrow we die. So everything ought to be to to move away from pain. The goal of life ought to be to pursue pleasure and resist pain. To escape pain in any possible way that they can. That's the world they're living in. And that world sounds a lot like the one that you and I live in as well. Peter writes to a group of people to remind them of their identity, to encourage them in who they are, and to let them know that this world will perceive them as strangers and exiles. He does it in verse 1 of chapter 1. He's going to do it again in verse 17 of chapter 1, and again in verse 12 of chapter 2. He's going to do it in 1 Peter 4, 4. He's going to continually remind them and use this language, you are a sojourner, you are an exile, you don't fit in here With what's happening in this world, this world that is in pursuit relentlessly of pleasure and totally adverse to pain. Peter's writing to these believers to help them understand that they don't live for a world of pain and pleasure. They live in a different world, a world that's constituted by suffering and glory. Very different. Because they're different kind of people. God has placed them in this place at this time to be a light in the world. To help others experience the good news of Jesus. But it will not come without adversity and pain. Here's the big question. Peter asked, who can harm you? Now, I don't know about you, but If I'm asked that question, I can think of about 50 different kinds of people that can harm me. People that I've been harmed by in the past. People that I could be harmed by in the present. All kinds of physical and emotional and relational and financial and crazy detrimental things that could happen. After all, we live in an anxious age. But Peter seeks to help these believers understand. no matter what this world throws at them, they can't ever really be harmed if they're in Jesus Christ. And that hope is not just for them, it is for you and it is for me. Let's read God's word together. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13 through 18. It says this, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This is the word of the Lord, which we say together. Thanks be to God. Myriad things in this passage, tons of wisdom here. Three things that I think really jump out about pain, about suffering, about the struggle and the things that we walk through in life. Specifically, in times in which, just like these believers here in this place, experience pressure, and pain, mistreatment, dismissal, From the outside world. Three things that we can learn about pain from this passage. Number one. Pain produces perspective. Now that's a lot of Ps. But here's the thing. Pain yields, it gives perspective. It gives us the opportunity to see not just where we are in one tiny moment. But instead to look at the whole plan at large. We get perspective about who we are and what God has done for us as we see pain. Number two, pain provides gospel opportunities for ourselves and others. Pain yields this incredible opportunity for the gospel to go forth. For the gospel not only to be recognized and revealed, but also shared. And given and demonstrated before those who need to hear the good news of Jesus. Pain provides gospel opportunities. Third, pain reminds us of the plot of God's story. Not only do we get perspective about where we are in its midst and find gospel opportunities to share, but ultimately we get a picture through pain and experience of suffering that helps us be reminded of, of the end, the plot of God's story, and what God has done in drawing us into his story. Let's look at verses 13 and 14 quickly for number one. Pain produces perspective. Peter poses this question to this group of believers he writes to, and he says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now one of the first things I think God's calling us to see as we read this text is we need to understand, is this, is this grace-related or is this works-related? Because we could say, when we read this passage, if we read it quickly, if we just read this verse, we kind of didn't see everything around it, we might be tempted to say, well, no one can harm me, it seems like Peter's saying, if I'm really passionate and if I'm zealous for doing good. So maybe that means nobody can harm me or I can escape suffering or pain as long as I do good things. But as we've seen all throughout this book, and specifically over the course of the last two weeks of what Jesus has done for us in obtaining salvation for us through his life, death, and resurrection, what Peter's saying is not that doing good things makes you one who cannot ultimately be harmed. No, that your security is found because doing good Being zealous for what is good, being in pursuit of what is good, is actually the mark of someone who has trusted in Jesus Christ. This is the person who has repented and believed in Jesus. This is what Peter is saying. He says, There is no one to harm. Who can harm if you are in Christ? Because being zealous for good is a sign of redemption, it's a picture of one who has trusted in Jesus. So in this gracious language, Peter is saying that there is eternal, deep, tangible, real security for those who have trusted in Jesus. They cannot ultimately be truly harmed. Can they experience pain? Can they experience seasons of discomfort? Can they be persecuted? Can they be attacked? Can they be mocked? Absolutely. The point Peter is driving home to these Christians is this. Those things are a blip on the radar. They're not of eternal significance. He's saying in a very succinct way what Paul would say in Romans and what he would say in 2 Corinthians 4. This This is a light and momentary affliction. Peter seeks to say that in these moments, pain can provide us with some perspective. This pain... Is not pain that lasts forever. It's actually momentary. It's actually just for this season. And there's a character to this pain. It's characterized by blessing. Now, I don't know about you, but I think you've probably had a thought like this before. When you've experienced a season of pain, or you've even watched someone else walk through a season of pain or suffering... This thought might have crept into your head. God's mad at me. I must be doing something wrong. Well, I've got to get it together. I haven't been, you know, clean living isn't really happening, apparently, as much as I thought it was. Or else I wouldn't be in this spot. Or we see somebody else experience it. We say, I wonder what they've done. Remember the story of Job? Remember that? like, Well, you surely you've done something. Why else would you be punished? This is some sort of divine retribution. But look how Peter characterizes, and he's taking the words of Jesus here and doing this in verse 14. He says, even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. You see, so often we view pain as a punishment, When in fact, it's a blessing. You might say, all right, Michael, I got a pretty good handle on what pain is. And I'm pretty sure it's not a blessing. At least it doesn't feel like it. But in reality, it's an incredible blessing. Because not only do we get to suffer with our Savior, additionally, we get the picture that this is not the end. That eternally, we have nothing to fear. There is none who can harm us if we're in pursuit of the Lord and His kingdom. A gentleman named Tom Schreiner writes about this passage and specifically these verses and says this. Peter was not teaching that suffering is rare. Only that it's not perpetual. Suffering is not rare. Pain is, is, is not rare. Look down into verse 16, and, and Peter doesn't say if you were slandered. He says when you were slandered. He's acknowledging you either have, have, you're either about to walk into it, you're in it right now, or you're walking out of it, and then you're going to go in it again. But there's hope that can give us perspective to say that this is not forever. Christ's kingdom is his reign, his righteousness is forever. And by God's grace, if we've trusted in Jesus, we get to be a part of that and experience his goodness. And there is none that can harm or take away my standing, my identity in Christ, no matter what's done to me. Second, not only is pain Produce perspective. It provides gospel opportunities. Look at verse 15, and you're going to see these two components. Number one, there's an opportunity for each of us to honor Christ the Lord as holy. And second, there's an opportunity to share with others. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that you have within you. Pain provides these incredible gospel opportunities because there is nothing so confusing and so astounding to the world around us as to when we walk through moments of pain or suffering and instead of grumbling and moaning and belittling and and questioning and, and being frustrated and angry, we respond with joy and with grace and with mercy and with love toward others and excitement about what God is doing in the midst of all this pain. There's a gospel opportunity there. Because the world is confused by that. But God in His grace through the power of His Spirit can clarify and bring reality to others as they see us share the hope that's within us. I want you to think about moments of extreme pain and this can be any kind of pain, and I want you to think about how you've handled it. It's probably all over the map. you had moments where you said, "You know what? I've 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 struggled. I've separated a shoulder. Right? I've 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 lost a job. I've been in a place where I don't know what's going to happen with this illness, and it's affecting my family member or myself. We've been in all of these different kinds of spots." And in some of them, we might have just sat in that agony and frustration and just said, God, where are you? But I want to tell you, like one of the great privileges of my life is looking at this room full of people who I know and love and see that have walked through pain, not only in gracious ways, but glorifying God in its midst. Watching you trust in Jesus and lean on Jesus and rest in Jesus. And I see the opportunity that's there for others to recognize who Christ is, the hope that's within you. That there's eternal hope that's beyond moments of pleasure in this world. That say, you know what? I, I, it's not just I can live with the pain or I'll get through it, but Christ is greater, Christ is more precious. Than the pain I'm experiencing now, and I'm going to trust him in the midst of this, I'm not going to believe the lie that the enemy wants me to believe, that that I'm being punished because God's mad at me because I did something. No. In God's infinite wisdom and providence, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to walk with him and be faithful. And you live that way before people, you've got an opportunity to share the gospel, the hope that's within you, and you can do it with gentleness and respect and see people come to know Jesus and trust in him. Third, look at verse 18 and we're going to see this, that pain reminds us of the plot of God's story. Pain reminds us of the plot of God's story. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Now, it's part of one really long sentence that Peter writes. That's kind of the way he writes in in some of this letter. But he's really wrapping up all the story in one part. And one succinct set of phrases, he's saying that you and I were separated from God because of our sin. And yet Christ, the one who was righteous, died for us unrighteous people who did not deserve his love in any way, shape, or form. He died. He gave his life for us for a very specific reason. That he might bring us to God. That we might be restored. And it happened in this way. He was put to death in the flesh. Jesus was crucified, but he was made alive on that third day, resurrected by the very Spirit of God. When we're in moments of pain, we get the beautiful opportunity to recognize that not only are we the last that's ever walked through this, but we are certainly not the first. But more so that there is one who has walked the path of pain, who's had his feet in the same dirt as you and me, and yet has lived it without sin. This is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. In the language of suffering that's so present in this passage in in 1 Peter 3, and really throughout the entire letter that he writes, is such that it finds a a real pairing with the writer of Hebrews here in chapter 4 because of the word sympathize. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. In other words, let's cling to the hope that's within us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What's the connection here? Well, it's this. is that Jesus is not one who suffered differently. And not just because of time and place. I'm not talking about... Geography and chronology. It's not just that it was thousands of years ago and that it was that it was halfway around the world. No. Jesus suffered with us because this word "sympathize" that the writer of Hebrews uses the same word that Peter's going to use, and it does not simply mean I understand where you're coming from. It means to go together, to experience together, to have not maybe uniformity of the way it it all transpired but at least unanimity walking in the same measure in the same way christ has walked in your shoes he's experienced the pain of mockery he's experienced the pain of being pushed to the edge and the fringe of society he's he's experienced the pain of of having to hide he's experienced the pain of having no place to lay his head, he's experienced every amount of possible social pain and relational pain and strain that that, that we could ever imagine, and he has done this without sin so that you and I could be, as Peter says, brought to God and receive this life, this resurrection life that is in him pain reminds us of the plot of God's story. We all, we all want to be a part of something and in something that has a plot. Like, think about it. You, you, watch a, you watch a movie, you read a book. If the plot is kind of vapid or if there's nothing happening in the story or there's no progress, it's not engaging. and You don't want to be a part of it. We are longing for stories where something is happening. And you and I need to feel that in our life we're making some sort of progress. That we're getting somewhere. That there's something that's in us that we're we're not just satisfied with merely like a psychological explanation of our lives, William Kirkpatrick would say. It just doesn't do justice to our conviction, he writes, that we're on some kind of journey or quest. There's got to be deeper meaning. And he says, only people who have lost a sense of adventure, mystery worry about themselves. The question for them and for all of us should be, what sort of story am I in? What's happening? And Peter, in so many words, is telling them the end of the story. He's saying that suffering is not your end that pain is not the end. No, this is momentary. And actually, truly, no matter what you feel right now, you cannot be harmed because you are in Christ Jesus. And what it means to be in Christ Jesus is this, is that you've been brought to God. You've been restored. You've been redeemed. You're not better. You're brand new. God is with you. We're going to experience pain and suffering, but in that there is true hope. Pain's going to remind us of who Jesus is in the plot of God's story. As our team comes this morning, I want to share these final words. A gentleman named Nicholas Walterstorf um, really draws out and, and through First Peter and other places. Romans 6 and Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians 4 and and some of these other places, really the connection of suffering and love. And I don't know about you, but when I hear suffering and love, those two words don't seemingly really match and go together. But as he describes Jesus, God, the Father's providence and what the Spirit has done, listen to these words. And see suffering as love. He says, in commanding us to love, God invites us to suffer. God invites us to suffer. God is love. And that is precisely why he suffers. To love a suffering and sinful world is to suffer. And God did this so much... For the world that he gave his only son over to suffering. So if you and I can't see God's suffering, we can't see his love. He is suffering love. And this this pain is so down at the center of things. And I know you and you know me and we want to run from it. I want to run away from it. I want to escape it. And if you've been around long enough, you've probably tried every way there is. You went to the new job. You went to the new place. You went to the new church. You went to the new relationship. You went to the bottle. You went to whatever you went to. You went to something to run away from the pain. But deep down at the center of the pain is where the meaning is. Suffering is the meaning of our world, he writes. Because love is the meaning and love suffers. The tears of God are the meaning of history. Here's the plot. We're not going to escape pain. And it is human nature to try. But it is the nature of Christians to do some very practical things. Number one, it's this. To look at your life in the moment of pain that you exist in and to have some perspective. You know, the Hebrew people, God's people are envisioned and described by so many scholars as people who walked backwards into the future. You know why? Because as they walked backwards, they saw God's faithfulness in the past. And that was what carried them into the future within to places they couldn't see. It was okay they couldn't see it. And look at the perspective of the life that you and I live in light of eternity. And know that no matter what this moment holds, you can trust Christ. He who is your hope within you. You can rest in Him and know that this is momentary. But to be with Christ is eternal. Second. Look, pain produces these opportunities where we get to share the gospel with others. Are you prepared to share the hope within you? Could you share with your friend? Could you share with your neighbor? Could you share with folks in your community? This might be just a good exercise for you and your spouse or your family or other people. Can you, can you give a reason for the hope that's within you? So that when those moments of suffering come, we can share our faith. And finally, we need to be people of the scriptures who are constantly reading and seeing that no matter where we find ourselves in this moment that the plot of the story is this Jesus wins Jesus wins hell and death and suffering and sin and brokenness are all defeated and Christ and love the only love we've ever really wanted is victorious, amen this morning is a really really special morning because we got the opportunity to see uh, some folks join the church uh, not only mark slide his mom marlene but also uh, the weaver family and this morning ariel is being baptized uh, so uh, i think noah's bringing bringing a whole crew in uh, so we're going to take this moment and as we worship here uh, we're i'm going to walk with the weaver family backstage and prepare uh, that time of baptism uh, and then we'll have an opportunity to see these families join uh, see ariel baptized an incredible morning here would be my encouragement to you um I, I, this is just like been so helpful to me. I've had somebody in our church that just notified me and say, hey, Michael, uh, you know, we do this last song and we worship and I think I don't know what to do. And also, I think everybody doesn't know what to do. because Some people stand and some people sit and some people sing and some people don't. And and, and it, was, it was really helpful to me because it encouraged me to share and say, hey, look, I don't think I've done a good job of being explicit about this moment and the opportunity that's before you. Look, the hope is that and you would stand if you feel like you want to stand, and you would sing if you want to sing, that you would come to this altar and pray if you want to pray, that you would truly just worship the Lord in spirit and truth, however you see fit. You may want to close your eyes. You may want to be open. Sometimes I'd love to just open my eyes and just look around at people worshiping and just be encouraged, and you may want to do that too. But whatever God's calling you to do, I encourage you to do that in this moment. Um, And then pray. Uh, for this upcoming moment as we not only get to see new people join the church, but to see the picture of Christ dying and rising in baptism. Amen? Let's take a moment and pray together. Heavenly Father, truly Jesus is the son of suffering. As John says, has loved us to the end. As Peter says, has given his life one who is righteous for we who are unrighteous father you have drawn us to you in repentance and faith father i pray that if there are those here this morning that are wrestling with what does it mean to live in a world that's broken and 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 i'm in pain God, would you help them see the hope that is your son, Jesus, and draw them unto yourself. Father, we're thankful for this time of worship who cause us to rest in you and experience your goodness yet again as we sing. In Christ's name.